Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Hey Andrew, did you uh, hear that uh, Microsoft's coming out the new computer? No, I did not. Yeah, no, it's, it's really amazing. They are actually using the power of trees from the forest that you can... So if you, if you get a tree, you can plug the computer into the tree, actually, and it'll be powered forever. And using trees as a new electrical currency, they, they found a way to do it. And you know what they're calling it? What are they calling it? The Everdell. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is good to have you here. I am your co-host, Josh. With me, as always, is my second, my first and my better half. <laughs> I'm Andrew, and today our guest is Martin Van Rossen. Uh, he's a game designer who's doing some really interesting things, and he's got a brand new um, roll and write that's coming out, print and play, coming up on Kickstarter. We're very excited to hear about it, but I'll let, you, I'll let him tell you about it. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. My name is Martin Van Rossen. Uh, so I live in the Netherlands and design board games and escape rooms. Um, in, previously, I was a teacher in higher education, teaching students who later become uh, primary school teachers themselves. So I started out designing educational materials and is now changed into designing games and escape rooms. Um, and currently, uh, we are leading up to uh, a cool uh, launch of uh, our game. Chateau is the game, and it's going live on February 7th on Kickstarter. And we are self-publishing it by Rolling Rhino Games. That's great. Yeah, I got a chance to play this, and I'm really excited to hear more about the game. I'm a geek for castles, so you already put that in there. That was nice. I'm a geek for polyominoes, so that combo is already working. And then you chuck dice, and that's always fun, too. So I think this has already got a good start to it. Thanks. Um, should I briefly explain it, Andrew, because it's a very simple, quick, simple game? I, I already understand, but I don't think our audience does. So go ahead. Give it a shot. Okay. You have five seconds. Go. <laughs> All, right. Kidding, okay. kidding, <laughs> All right. So Chateau is indeed a polyomino run and ride game. And each player has a different uh, blueprint in front of them of a famous castle or fort or palace or Chateau. So for instance, uh, you might be playing Neuschwanstein, which is a very um, famous one. And then uh, two dice are rolled and all players simultaneously uh, draw shapes into their Chateau based on what uh, comes up on the dice. And the first player to complete their chateau, just fill all the spaces, wins the game. So there's no scoring, just the first one who gets there. Okay, so it's a, like a little little race to fill everything in. That sounds. I can't wait to hear more about this game. Um, I had a chance to play it as well with Andrew mm-hmm. to give it a try. So I can't wait to have this discussion about it. I want to do a little bit of a backpedal, though. So you design escape rooms, mm-hmm. um, which is not something you hear every Every so often, you don't hear people say, you know, I design escape rooms. So, I mean, just to get a little know more about you, how did you get into that? How did you, you know, become an escape room designer? <laughs> yeah, how do you get into that kind of stuff? Um, <laughs> I, just by accident, I think, just being uh, being interested in this kind of things. And, um, yeah, I got into contact with someone who was looking for, um, for ideas for someone who uh, could design one. Um, so I've designed an escape room and it's currently under construction. So I'm not doing the building myself, but I designed all the puzzles that are uh, inside the escape room, basically. 
do you take like the diabolical mad scientist like you never want these people to get out approach or is there like a fine balance between you will never escape or i want you to escape like how, how do you approach this yeah 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 um no i i, I honestly i really uh, I, I want people to escape uh <laughs> i want them to have fun and be challenged but also just right in time escape that's like the perfect scenario of course right um so it's just like designing games it's important to keep in mind your target audience yeah. Um, so this escape room is situa situated in a very um, touristic uh, location with many tourists coming in and especially on a rainy day, they look for something to do. Right. Um, so it's not very much high level uh, gamers. So I try to make it family friendly. So it's uh, okay to play uh, with kids as well. Um, they won't be able to do all puzzles, but they, they re can really contribute. Mm -hmm. um, so you keep your target audience in mind. And you try to come up with something that's unique and that's like uh, that you might not have seen before. So in our escape room, this is um, so it's uh, basically farm themed, and uh, there is a big um, tractor, and that's you need to get it going again. So that's mm. basically that's really uh, a big thing in the final room where um, yeah people will find this, and um, I think it's okay. For me to share this here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so you try to come up with something that's that's uh, unique and something you work towards the end. Sometimes in board game design, you do the same thing. You come up with what kind of an ending do I want? I'm looking at like 75-80% uh, solved. Um, we're not making an extremely difficult room, uh, but uh, one that's doable and that has a quite a higher percentage. I know some rooms really want a low percentage because that, that means they are a big challenge and it means many escape room fanatics will come to their room because they want to be challenged. Mm -hmm. uh, but for this project with this client, um, uh, we, we went with like a, a higher rate, basically. There are a lot of escape room board games out there, you know, like the exit games, unlock. What do you prefer? Do you prefer like the actual physical space or do you like, you think those exit kind of small box experience what, what do you think prefer what do you think has the better design space to it um all right yeah that's that's two different questions what, what i personally prefer is the physical escape room because there's of course the physical elements um there's uh, a lot more uh being engaged in in the theme or the whole setting or the music everything uh, around you will be in this in this one setting and there's of course also a game master and if you have a good game master um it will give a hint at the right time and keep an eye on you. And yeah, when you're, when you're playing a, a board game, an escape room game at home, um, you're missing those kind of things. And um, yeah, sometimes you need to look up, you, you need to take a hint and you need to do, uh, yeah, decide on yourself, like, mm -hmm. do I need this right now? Uh, on the other hand, I do really like escape room uh, games and I think they are very... Um, uh, very innovative what uh, what the different uh, series did with this uh, kind of genre um yeah i really hope to one day combine these two hobbies and also design an uh, escape room game awesome well well that's enough talk about escape rooms as much as i would love to talk about all the theory behind the, this wonderful little i guess i call it a sub hobby because i don't have people if you people who like escape rooms they are diehard escape roomies mm -hmm. i guess I guess we could call them that but we're here to talk about games. So how about we go ahead and head to our pre-launch and talk about some games we played recently.
the pre-launch. Get to know us and our guest. Okay, in our pre-launch, we talk about one game we played recently and give a little quick review, thoughts, feelings, emotions about this said game. So how can we go ahead and start with Andrew? You have a game by the good old Dr. Reiner Knizzi. I want to hear all about it. So my friend, uh, John Wood, who also designs games, we were talking about Roland Rights, and he said one of his favorites is a classic that's been around a long time called Criss Cross. Um, I'd never heard of it, so of course I had to look it up on Board Game Geek, and I find out, of course, it's almost impossible to find. It's done by Grail Games, but I can't really get a copy. So I went and looked at it and kind of recreated my own version so I could play. And my wife and I have played this probably three times a day for the last week and a half. We uh, we really find this game to be the perfect sit by the pool, lay down at the beach, go on a picnic kind of game that you can take with you. Uh, I made my own copy that's like literally hand size. And so we each have a sheet and we take two dice and we roll it. And essentially what you're doing is you're putting pairs of dice and creating patterns with them, trying to get sets of them across horizontally as well as vertically. And then there's also one single diagonal one. You have to try to score that one as well. Uh, it's the kind of game that is simple and really elegant and yet really challenges you every time. So it's a great little game and I highly recommend it. You're bootlegging board games now? Is that what I'm hearing? Hey, or? I'm a print-and-play guy, so absolutely, as long as I don't do any distribution, I am more than okay to make my own games. <laughs> as long as you don't get paid for your services, it's okay. No. That's what the law says. You can't distribute it either. You can't send it out you for free. You can't distribute it? Nope. Oh, really? I might be in trouble. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Let's uh, let's uh, let's let's leave federal crimes aside and let's uh, so uh, so this has been out for it looks like a long minute. Yeah, it was reprinted a while back by Grail Games, uh, but it looks like it's currently out of print. When you were making this game, did you just like use your own custom dice that you like drew the symbols on? Yep, I basically took a set of dice and I drew my own symbols on there, and then basically made a sheet to match the symbols that I did. And they're a little bit different than the symbols they chose. But it works just fine. And what makes it so easy breezy? Like you said, a beachside game. What? No, somebody tosses the two dice, and if it comes up X and circle, then you got to mark off X and circle on your board. It's that simple. But there's the choices because you have to put them in such a way that the first die and the second die always touch on your board. So you have to kind of like with King Domino, your board kind of evolves and leaves patches, and you have to kind of match them up that way, and you're still trying to combo the things right. So, and Andrew, what makes it so replayable? So the dice are completely random when it comes up, so one out of six shapes. You might get a whole bunch of circles in one game and a whole bunch of squares in a different game, and sometimes you get an even distribution, but you have no idea. So you're kind of building as you go. It's not the kind of game I can play, you know, forever, but you're sitting by the pool, you're having a cocktail, and you throw some dice, and you mark off your little board, and it's kind of a nice little fun thing. And the scores are pretty fluctuating, but because both players or all players are working with the same resources... It's really just an efficiency engine about how you and and guessing how you go. Well, that was Crisscross by Reiner Knizia. Martin, we have a stacking game which are getting very popular nowadays, and I want to hear more about this one. So, how about you take it away? Yeah, we've been playing a lot of Manara uh, lately, uh, which is a stacking game. And uh, what's well, funny that you say that, Josh, because I don't know a lot of stacking games, uh, especially those that gear towards adults. 
So this is really a second game for adults, but it all, it's also very good for families. Um, so my son is six years old and he really likes this game as well. Uh, because in this game, you're cooperatively trying to stack um, these buildings. And um, on your turn, you basically choose a card. There are three levels of cards, like easy, medium, and hard cards. And um, and you flip the card and it tells you what to do. And so my son just picks the easier cards. And, uh, and uh, one of us picks the harder cards. And it really works very well in that way, because then often it's me who's tumbling over the tower and he's having a laugh um in, in the end you're working together it's a, yeah it's a really uh really fun quite simple game basically it's always nice when the table has a presence and you can see it across the room and this game i'm looking at pictures right now and it's like it, it's it's very interesting to look at i kind of want to come over and find out more about it just by looking at it and then on top of that you're saying it's got like a little bit of that jenga thing where you're looking to see if it falls and trying to stop it from falling and then, of course, anything, it's always fun to play a game where you're building something or you feel like you've progressed and made an accomplishment as you go. So it, it fills all those boxes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is really a game when, when it's, it's finished or almost finished. People are taking out their cameras and uh, making photos of it. Um, yeah, it, it's also quite a hard game. Um, so when you flip one of those cards and if you, you can't perform what's on the card, and sometimes it's not even your fault. Sometimes you don't have the right color uh, available to you. So sometimes you just can't uh, fulfill uh, what's asked of you. And then the card uh, is placed in a row and means you have to increase the entire building by one level. So you start off with like four, so you have to do four levels, but sometimes you have to do six or seven levels high and it becomes incredibly hard. So do you think the cooperative nature of the game helps or hinders the experience? Uh, no, I think it helps. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it helps. It's, uh, it works for this game. Yeah, because I'm trying to think, how would you do like cooperative Jenga? And I just can't. No, <laughs> it's because Jenga is like the ultimate stacking game. And this guy, it, he just looks like it'd be a far more stressful experience based on how the tiles and stuff are shaped. Yeah, yeah. I'm... All things are, uh, each um, tile has a different shape basically so that really makes it uh, more complicated yeah it has a different shape and i don't know but like with jenga you're of course just pulling blocks basically and constantly mm -hmm. making it harder and this you're starting off very simple just at the base level and it becomes harder because you're uh, going higher and higher but there on each tile are colored spots where you can place yeah where you can place pillars thank you and yeah th those kind of dictate where you can place something and so there's not a lot of freedom there and then that's why you get those very strange pyramids basically well this was not on my radar before but you've made it there so now i want to check this out thank you for sharing josh what have you been playing lately good sirs i have played a classic game one that is in the bgg top 20 i have dabbled my feet into the wonderful world that is seven wonders duel yeah all right nice so I've never played Seven Wonders because I don't play with seven players too often. I usually play with like two or three. And from my understanding, Seven Wonders doesn't really, really play well at low player counts. But I've always had my eye on Seven Wonders Duel. And thanks to a popular sale that was going on here in the Americas, <laughs> I was able to get Seven Wonders Duel at a really good price. And I took it home to play it. Wasn't expecting much. But what I got was a fantastic two-player civilization experience that 
totally earns the clout and like the street cred Seven Wonders Duel does. Um, in Seven Wonders Duel, you are playing a civilization trying to build their fame, gets be, be the best civilization, you know, like all civilization games are. What makes it really interesting, though, is that you have a pyramid or a formation of cards in front of you that either allows you access based on the way the cards are stacked to certain cards. And as you take cards from the bottom of this little shape, more cards get revealed and you get access to more and more cards. Mm -hmm. These cards give you progress in military, sciences, culture, whatever strategy you want to do. And it really makes for an interesting and meaty decision space because I felt that nothing was unachievable. There might have been easier ways to win. Like I think maybe taking the maybe taking just a straight culture route might have been the easiest way to win, but I still felt like if I tried hard enough, I could win by military by pushing this little track all the way to the other side of the board. Mm -hmm. Science felt really interesting, which is basically a set collection game mm -hmm. where you're trying to get all these symbols, one of each of these different science symbols into your tableau of cards. And then you have the wonders, which grant you special bonuses. And there's two other expansions for this game that I'm hoping to get a hold of soon. Andrew Martin, this is just a really well-designed, thought-out game. And I'm really sad that I haven't tried it earlier. I haven't felt this much tension in a simple game in a very long time. It's such a simple game. Like, there really isn't... You can, teach, you can probably teach this game in, like, five minutes to somebody. Yeah. And you can get going, but there's so much depth to it. It's like a jelly donut. It looks simply outside, but inside is this really great <laughs> jelly strawberry feeling that makes you want to come back more and more. Yeah, this is a game that's a staple in our collection, and it pretty much replaced Seven Wonders for us because we just don't get bigger groups to the table. But my wife and I, we sit down a lot and play a ton of two-player games. So... This one essentially booted the other one out of our collection, except in party situations where we have five or six people over. So uh, I I'm, I applaud you for finally getting a chance to try it. And the um, expansions do some interesting things. I don't necessarily think it makes it better, but it makes it more complex and it brings more meat to the table. So if you're looking for a crunchier version of that, I think that does that. Have you played this one, Martin? Yeah, yeah I've played it. Yeah, I haven't played the expansions though. And... Yeah, it's it's a really good game. Yeah, yeah. For us, it doesn't hit the table as much, but that's basically because of the theme. And my girlfriend is maybe less into civilization-style games and historical themes than I am. Um, but yeah, it's a really good game. Oh yeah. So if you guys are looking for a nice jelly donut of a game, <laughs> please try out Seven Wonders Duel. <laughs> well, we've talked enough about pastries and all sorts of different games. My instruments are ready to go. I think I want to hear more about your game, Martin Chateau. I want to hear the story behind it. I want to hear what this game's deal is. So how about we head into the dive and we'll give the mic over to Martin. Alright, so the story behind Chateau. Um, well, basically, I had a period where I was um, working on one-page games, and just like every week, I challenged myself to create a fully functional game. And uh, Chateau uh, was one of those. Uh, as a prototype, it was just this one big square. And it basically came from um, the fact that we really like roll-and-write games here. Uh, so my girlfriend and my son, who's six. But sometimes when you play roll-and-write, um, they are often easy to understand, also for younger children. But then the scoring is sometimes very complex. 
Um, so for instance, a game like uh, Railroad Inc. is a game that son really liked to draw the railways. But then mm-hmm. uh, I, I uh, had a hard time explaining to him uh, how the points worked and how he could be strategical in this game because right. things weren't very clear to him. Of course, young child. So I was looking into like a game that could really work with youngsters and also for adults uh, who really like uh, a quick and simple game. Um, I think many adults like those filler kind of games, play a game just after dinner, something like that. So Chateau, so I wanted the game to end when your entire uh, building is filled. Uh, So it's similar like New York Zoo, for instance. New York Zoo is also a game he can play because he can see like how far ahead he is or how far behind. It's just very clear. Um, so that's why there's no scoring in the game. I want just to be very accessible. Then I tried to uh, come up with uh, a, te- a theme and mechanisms that really work for both youngsters and grown-ups. So, I mean, castles, everyone loves castles. <laughs> Many uh, children love castles, but we went with the, the actual blueprints of famous buildings. So also the adults like it, maybe because they're interested in history or maybe because they've traveled and they've visited some of those castles. So we also try to trigger something there and also having different castles. A lot of replayability, which is of course nice for the adults when they play a game over and over because the young one really likes it. So you want to add some replayability there. Um, so that's basically how it came together. And then we we went ahead and tried to uh, pitch it to a publisher, um, which is a story on its own. <laughs> <laughs> so we we pitched it to a, a publisher, or I pitched it to a publisher, and as you can imagine, uh, pitching is uh, uh, stressful, or you're nervous before you go into pitching, right, uh, Andrew and Josh? You've been pitching before. Yes, abs- that's absolutely correct. Yes, very- really, I-, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is this is one. This is a really uh, uh, funny moment, at least in this uh, design progress. Uh, uh, I went pitching and I went to um, a convention where this uh, publisher had a booth. Played with um, a re- representative of the company, and they really liked it. And they were like, "Oh, show it to my colleague." And another colleague came over, and we played uh, some more. So it's a fifty-minute game, so we easily had a few games. So I was there for at least an hour. Wow, so you got like four games in. Yeah, yeah, but it was of course, you you know, it's just like it was at the booth, so it was busy and someone was like, oh, uh, to his colleague, you you come check this out. And then he he went away because someone else was coming in. So it was a bit, uh, and then the the CEO uh, played it and he liked it and he said, oh, you should talk to our uh, uh, head in development and play a game with her. So together with her, we found like a bit more quiet space and uh, played the game there. So in Chateau, the dice determine what kind of shapes you place. When one is rolled, you mark off one space in your opponent's castle. You can imagine, so that's, that's of course fun, it's interactive, but you can imagine if a lot of ones get rolled, um, it becomes a lot harder. Um, so yeah. this was the absolute first time I pitched this game and um, she rolled double ones on the first roll. She d- rolled double ones on the second roll. And on the third, this game was going very bad. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, both of us had an absolute mess of a castle, and uh, she rolled a total of five double ones, and I was like, "Oh, Jeez. this is this is not going very well." Uh, but she ended up liking the game, and I learned from it and uh, fixed it with uh, the inclusion of the hammers. Uh-huh. So the hammers, if you mark them off. They allow you to mark off um, a box anywhere on your uh, chateau. 
So that's of course a great way uh, to get those uh, tough spots uh, marked off. Um, so I learned from it, and well, it all ended fairly, uh, fairly well. It must have ended very well because they signed it, correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, they signed the game. It's it's nice when you only have to make one pitch and the game gets signed immediately. You don't have to go through five hundred pitches or anything like yeah. that. That's that's impressive. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. But maybe it was uh, beginner's luck. It was my first pitch with this one, and with many other games, I have also experienced just pitching over and over again um and yeah it's, it's sometimes really hard to to find a match well part of that is you just picking the right publisher too so how did you pick this publisher as being the one you wanted to approach um so it's a it's a dutch publisher it's a and it's a small publisher i knew one of the representatives and I talked with him beforehand and i asked him can i come over so um yeah, that's basically uh, and and maybe smaller publisher um, is sometimes a, a bit easier. Um, I think some of the fair of the largest uh, publishers get a lot of emails, get a lot of pitches, and it's really hard to stick out. Um, so maybe that helped. That's that's great. I mean, whenever you have a connection, you should exploit that. Number one, but also. Uh, working with your friends makes it a whole lot easier and a whole lot more fun. So that's fun too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and and since then it's been just a very very nice collaboration and been discussing like also what's next because they like the way this is going as well. So that's of course when you have uh, built a good relationship, yeah, they might come back to you and um, yeah. I love it. That's wonderful. So this game is launching on Kickstarter on the seventh. I think you said. Yes, that's correct. Excellent. So this will be up by the time that's launched, probably. Yeah, but it will be a, a print-and-play only. So it's just a one-page print-and-play game uh, for five bucks. I know this might be confusing as we we're talking about a publisher, but um, later on um, it will be uh, going to the publisher, which will be in the Netherlands. So as you were preparing to pitch this game to try to convince this publisher that Chateau was a great game, what did you look for as like a hook? Because there's always a hook when it comes to the game. As you were looking at your game you made, what stood out to you the most? Like, why is this game fun? Why do you, the publisher, want this game? Like, what was the process and what did you end up choosing? Yeah, that's, that's of course, always, always quite difficult, but also very important. The publisher always asks you for the hook. I think in this case, it's the, it's the theme of the different uh, castles. And... Um, there are quite some um, familiar uh, mechanisms in there, uh, like the polyomino shapes. Uh, but there's just this new twist and this, um, yeah, and, and I knew this publisher was also looking for games that are working well with both adults and uh, youngsters. So basically what we discussed earlier was also part of my pitch. Yeah, really the, the hook is, like, for those of you who may not be familiar with design, the hook is... I would describe it as what is going to make the publisher sit down and want to talk with you yeah. about the game. It is probably, in my opinion, in my experience, this, may not, this could be true varying on the person. It's the most difficult thing for me to convey to someone I'm pitching my game to. Because in my, my heart, in my little designer heart, I was like, if you just sit down and play the game with me, you'll see why it's great. Well, newsflash to me and anyone who was <laughs> trying to do this, Publishers don't have time to sit down with you and play your game unless they're really interested in it. Yeah. So, uh, Andrew and Martin, whatever one do, how do you guys go about trying to find your hook 
for a game? Like, what do you do? A really good piece of advice was given me a long time ago. And I, I forgot who was given to me and it was really horrible. But they said, essentially, create a billboard of your game using only words. So you know how a billboard has basically like six, maybe seven words on it. Like, think of it that way. Like, how do you do the shortest possible sentence and the most interesting possible version in that sentence? essentially what you do yeah i completely agree yeah but i also agree with you josh it's one of the hardest things to get right um especially because as a designer you can name 10 things about your game that are fun and great and but yeah you have to, mm -hmm. yeah you have to pick out this this hook uh which hopefully uh gets the publisher interested and make them sit to get down to play the game with you especially with a role and right because you know the market over the past you know five or six years has exploded for rolling rights yeah there have been so many coming out some of them printing some of them published so when you are going at this with the rolling right what were you trying to accomplish because there's so many different types of paper you print off you roll like you said you wanted this to be family oriented so what was really in your mind as you were designing this, make it stand out from the sea yeah, of yeah. roll and write. Yeah, I think it's important when you have like a, me a mechanism like a roll and write uh, that's very uh, common. Uh, that's important to um, to make clear to the publisher what's new, but also like what's uh, familiar. Because roll and writes are very popular, but they are also selling quite well. So many publishers, mm -hmm. yeah. many publishers want a roll and write in their line or have a few. So uh, it's it's not by any means a, a negative for a publisher, but they want, of course, something new. They have a line of games, and uh, uh, so I made a prototype that was fitting in their line of games and really showed them like this could be your next game in this line, basically. So uh, you all then you already help them. How do you call it? Um, imagining. Uh, what, what it could be like, like part of their line. And and then, of course, there's your hook. And then you want also to um, make very clear what's what's unique. So, for instance, in this game, it will be all of those different uh, blueprints of castles um, that are based on the actual blueprints. Uh, that's something um, we haven't seen in another roller ride yet. Um, so there's something unique, but there's also something familiar and something that makes it fit into this line of games we already have. Yeah, I think Rule and Rights, what you were saying about trying to bring the familiar while also bringing the new, and that's most games, but Rule and Rights especially, because I feel like there's so much you can do with just dice or cards and then paper and pencil. Uh, I don't play a lot of Rule and Rights because it's harder for me. I don't know. It's just something that doesn't click with me. Hmm. But... I find that there's lots of interesting things that can happen and that they are a great genre that's rife with combos. Yeah. And I really like combos in my games. That's why I like games like Smash Up or, you know, Disney Sorcerer's Arena, things like that. I was recently playing Fleet, the dice game, and I really enjoyed that. I really liked the crunchiness of it and the whole dice drafting mechanism. So in your guys' mind eye, how, is, how have we come from games like Yahtzee to the world we live in now where martin you can produce chateau and people are looking for games like yours and games like hadrian's wall or fleet or three sisters kind of dominate the market for even a couple months when they come out which is rare for a board game to dominate the market for even a week or two with how many games get produced what do you think has changed and it captures the imagination because of two aspects one is that whenever you're drawing 
you get to be the artist, whether it be a simple artist or a complex artist, but you get to be it. I think it's one of the reasons why cartographers is so popular is because you get to be your own level of artist, right? But also, I think we're becoming more innovative in their aspects of imagination, but also with the complexity of the genre in the themes. Like you got Twilight Inscription, which is amazing. It's been dominating the market for demand. That allows people to, th to think of 4X and space exploration and stuff like that. You've got cartographers doing you know, exploration for fantasy. Then you've got Welcome to the Moon, which is now a campaign legacy game about going into space. So I think finally the games aren't just abstract like they used to be. It used to be Yahtzee, and it used to be Can't Stop, and Reiner Kinesia's Decathlon. They were very much an abstract version of rolling dice and then writing down the kind of things. Now we're getting to things where there's complex shapes involved, there's combos that lead to other things, and it's exploded in the way that the innovation is taking off and it's catching up to other board games that have existed in other genres. That's where I see it. Yeah, I really, I completely agree. And I think games like Hadrian's Wall and Twilight Inscription, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of those games because they're, they are doing well. And um, yeah, like you said, it's just, we're making the, the step there. They're uh, just a uh, rolling rights with a lot of theme now. They're rolling rights with a lot of depth. So there's just a lot of diversity in this one uh, genre. Yeah, who would have thunk it, too? Like, we're in a place where we're going from Yahtzee to where on BGG, like, I'm not, we're going to, we're here to talk about Chateau, so I'm not going to name the game, but we're, there's a game in the hotness that is an 18xx roll and write mm -hmm. that's meant for people 10 plus. Now, I don't know if you guys ever played 18xx game, but it is not for anyone below the age of 12 in my opinion, unless they're really smart. These games are forever long. They are dry as a piece of toast, but someone's producing a roll and write that's 18xx. It has a kitten on the front picture of it, yeah. and it's the number one hotness on BGG. Like, that's insane. We are at yeah. that point. Well, also, I think that any game system that has a cult following like 18xx, it's only a matter of time until someone puts out a version of that in a different aspect, right? You look at games like Ganshan Cleaver has now got four iterations at this point. So the first one did well, give them more, give them more than that, give them a little bit more than that. And then also find places in the market that have that need. So there are plenty of people out in this world, including my father, who's a huge train gamer. And so he wants to play everything that's a train game. It was only a matter of time until Railroad Inc. wasn't the only one doing railroad rolling rights. So there's that too. And I'd be remiss mentioning that Three Sisters is also one of the games I really enjoy. It's my 25th century. That's a great one. And we hadn't mentioned that one yet. So I thought I'd toss that one in there. Yeah, and I think also just looking for uh, more innovation. Um, designers are just... Trying crazy stuff with roller rides. Just um, I don't know, make a roller ride, which what's also a trick-taking game, or that's also a dexterity game, or a worker placement roller ride. Well, of course, those kind of things uh, have already uh, we've already seen. But um, yeah, like Andrew mentioned, there's just uh, so many possibilities, um, and designers are exploring those uh, opportunities. So, Martin, if a young designer comes up to you. And he's like, I want to make my own roll and write. Or someone comes up to you who's never played a roll and write before. They're starting to get into the hobby. And they like you know, all sorts of games, complex or you know, not complex. What are some of the roll and writes or flipping rights or whatever kind of that kind of 
done it in the right genre that you would recommend to them to get started on their journey? Ooh, uh, we've, we've already named so many. Um, uh, I really like Cartographers, um, Railroad Inc., uh, Welcome to um, Silver and Gold. It's one yeah. we haven't mentioned, which is also uh, very uh, nice. Of course, because they are so quick to play, you, you, you can try many different ones and just and you'll easily stick to uh, one or two you really enjoy. I think um, when people would um, uh, ask me about designing a Roll and Ride game, um, I think it's a very good one to start, basically, because uh, especially if you're looking at a, a shorter game like Chateau is, um, Designing uh, requires a lot of playtesting, and um, a shorter game makes that a lot easier. And if it's a, a one-page game or just uh, you can just print it, uh, very simple, also makes uh, playtesting very s- simple, just for yourself, just to get it to the table. Um, and in the case of Chateau, there are many different castles in there. Each castle has a different shape, a different unique ability. Yeah, I, I need to make sure all of them are balanced. So I've been playing Chateau, um, of course, with playtest, but also a lot solo, just having four Chateaus in front of me. And in 10 minutes, I can knock out a round. And I have another uh, round of data for my playtest. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, a really a great starting point for any starting designer. I agree. It's, it's an easy to get into because you can draw whatever you want to. Keeping it to a single sheet or maybe even two sheets is usable, but also... It's the kind of game that if you create something and it turns out very, very well, not only will you be able to find a publisher for it, but even if you don't, you can self-publish that relatively easily doing the Kickstarter with what you said, in a, a low barrier entry. Yes, you have to pay for the art and stuff like that, but at simple like three, four, five dollars per person, a lot of people will give it a chance just to try it. And I know there's a lot of people out there who love the print and play genre, just to be able to, to create their own games at the top of that. So yeah, I think it's a great place for beginning designers to start. This has been awesome. Love this conversation, but we are deep down in the deep trenches. I see a claymation squid down there attacking <laughs> a submarine figurine. We're going to talk about what's on our radar. Thank, thank you so much for your story, Martin. Loved hearing about it, but we're going to talk about games in our future. Let's see what's on our radar. What are we looking forward to playing in the next couple weeks, months, or even years? We know how many board, we know how it is as board gamers. Andrew, if you want to get us kicked off again, I want to hear more about this guy because this has been the hotness at my board game store for a couple weeks now. So my wife and I finally got our copy of Wingspan Asia expansion. So I am I'm a big Wingspan guy, big fan of playing it. My wife and I, we play two-player version of this all the time. And now we have a game that's designed specifically for the two players because the Asia Wingspan has a two-player specific variant in there, which I'm very excited to try. Uh, We cracked open the box last night. We opened it up to take a look at the pieces. The pieces look gorgeous. There's new uh, scarlet red eggs, which are very cool. Um, And I cannot wait to break this bad boy open, but I'm very, very excited. Wingspan is just dominating everything. (laughs) This... Elizabeth Hargrave and her flock of games are like just everywhere at this point. I think it's well-deserved. We've talked about Wingspan, I think, in length on this podcast. Are you a big fan of Wingspan, Martin? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. It's a a really good game. Um, And I'm curious, uh, Andrew, do you know more about this two-player variant? Like, what's changing? What's so unique about this variant? Well, I've heard it's a little bit of a 
area control kind of thing where there's like a map and you're putting pieces into place to claim areas or something like that. But once again, I haven't done more than just crack open the box. So I don't know a lot, but I'm excited to find out. Yeah. Now, well, I, I really like Wingspan as well, but I, um, I do think, um, I'm curious your opinions about this. Um, I mean, Wingspan is often um, called a gateway game or a game to introduce people to the hobby. But I do find that when I try to introduce it to new people, um, or, uh, or maybe not, not so much gamers, that it can be quite uh, a hard one, uh, hard to teach, because it's just quite a lot on the table and quite some new things. Even though many people say, yeah, it's, it's my one-to uh, gateway game. How do you guys see that? Do you feel like Wingspan is a gateway game? I'm going to put my rubber stamp here right now. It is not a gateway <laughs> game. I'm sorry. Wingspan, as someone whose gateway game was Dune and Root, I can thoroughly testify that weight doesn't matter when it comes to introducing someone to the hobby. It's just, do they like the game? Do they have the capacity to understand what's going on board? So Wingspan could be a game that gets someone into the hobby. But if you're specifically talking about like a gateway plus game, that kind of weight and genre we talk about as gamers, mm -hmm. I thoroughly will die on the hill that Wingspan is not gateway. There's a lot going on. There's mechanisms that aren't in a lot of games. There's, you know, there's chaining, there's combos, there is dice rolling, there is, there's so, there's so much going on comparatively to games like Ticket to Ride or even Dominion, Pandemic. There's just too much going on that I wouldn't mind teaching it to somebody who's never played games before, but I would never call it a gateway game. All right, I'm going to go the opposite of that one. I think this is a gateway oh. game, but I agree it's gateway plus. And by that, I mean, this is the kind of game that is beautiful to look at. People will more than happily see it on the table and go, oh, what is that going on over there? And I think it's relatively simple in the way that you start the game off, right? You do this, 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 or this. But I also believe that I think it should probably be the second game somebody plays. Like, not necessarily the first one, but that said, we have taught neighbors who are not gamers, and they liked the game. Okay. So it's not a matter of whether they can handle it, although that's part of it. You have to find people who are interested in having their brains be a little challenged. But I think it also helps that it's a genre and a theme that a lot of people can be interested in, and it would lead them to trying games. It's also, I think, a good example of what games can be now in a modern perspective, where if they've only ever played Monopoly and Sari and Yahtzee, this is going to blow their minds and possibly in a positive way make them look to find out what other things are out there. Awesome. That was Wingspan, the Asia expansion. Martin, you have a game that I am excited about because I got the, I guess, quote-unquote prequel to this game recently that I'm dying to dig into, but I want to hear more about this game you're looking right. forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to My Island, and it's a game from Rainer Knizia. It's a follow-up to My City. So My City is on your shelf, Josh? Yeah, no, I got it over... I used my Christmas money <laughs> to get this one, and I'm a huge Knizia fan, huge Polyomino fan, and I want to dip my toe into Legacy, and I heard this one's really good as a legacy game but also as a game you can replay over and over again afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah it really is yeah I'll, I'll try to exclude any spoilers um but yeah it's a really fun game and it's an extremely quick game i think um when we looked back at 2022 at our bgg stats i think it was in our top three just because it's 
so fast. Um, and of course, because of the legacy, yeah. you will play 20 plus games at least um, just to get through the legacy game. And I think they did a really good job with the legacy. Just, just It's just small tweaks in every chapter. Um, I do think there's also an opportunity for a stronger theme. It's just currently, it's just like, for instance, my city just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a city, not non-defined. Um, so I really hope that that's a little stronger in uh, my island, but I'm also curious uh, what kind of new twists um, Rainer Knizia will come up with. Looks like he's throwing in some hexagons. <laughs> I love me some hexagons. Yeah, that's cool. Do you uh, do you prefer hexagon po- like hexagon spatial puzzles or or like polyomino puzzles? Ooh, um, I mean for like skirmish games and stuff, I really uh, like hexagons. Um, but I think for puzzle games, I more lean towards squares. I'm kind of in the same boat, but now I want to see if if, if if anyone could pull off an interesting hexagonal spatial puzzle, it's the good doctor yeah, himself. I, mean. I didn't know about this game. I'm really excited about it now. Now i got to play my city so I can get my Yeah, yeah. and it was listed for Did- January. Um, so I don't know where <laughs> when it's going to come. I don't know if it's uh, coming later this year. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Get on the boat, Cosmos. <laughs> come on. <laughs> okay. So... My game is an oldie, but a goodie to most. This is a call to adventure from Brotherwise Games. This is one that the theme is kind of confusing for me, where you are drafting cards and throwing runes to create the backstory for your hero in this fantasy world. So it's a backstory generating game. They recently came out with a kind of a deluxe version of this game where you can use the cards and the story you create to have your own D&D backstory. You can make your own 5th edition character for it. And so I decided to give the base game a try. I didn't want to jump into the whole making my own character stuff because I don't play too much Dungeons & Dragons anymore. But Call of Adventure looks interesting to me. I like the idea of casting runes and creating your backstory. The... That's about it. Everything else about it kind of didn't draw me in. But I have a lot of friends who one week at our game store, they play this game as the demo. And all of my friends who I share common gaming interests with said they loved it. And so I kind of take I'm taking it upon my friends to I just grabbed this game and said, OK, well, let's see how this is. And I'm kind of relying on their opinions to hopefully get me through this. This doesn't seem like a very complicated game, but the art is fantastic. I really love the art, but it has some cool expansions to it. There's a uh, Stormlight Archive for Brandon Sanderson expansion. There is a my kind of game. I, I love the Name of the Wind, which is a Patrick Rothfuss book, yeah. the Kingkiller Chronicle. They have expansion for that. So there's a lot to this game. It has a following, so I'm excited to see where this takes me and if it's something I want to invest more time and effort in. All right, sounds cool. Um, it makes me think of uh, role player, which is also sometimes used. Uh, to create a character yes yeah i think uh role player is a dice dice placement game and you can automatically i think there's an easy way to convert your role player character to fifth edition dungeons and dragons i think epic origins is what it's called it took that idea to put into the call of adventure system so it's very similar whereas i think role player is more about the stats and call of adventure is more about the backstory which both are fine. I mean, I wanted to try role player for a while because I love dice placement, but I am going to give Call of Adventure first because role, role, role player is a little bit more meaty. 
from my understanding, but either way, I'm excited to dive into this. These are all great games, but we are running out of oxygen, and we want to make sure Martin can get back to his day, so let's go ahead and head up to the surface and wrap this voyage up. Well, Martin, thank you so much for coming on the submarine with us today. If people want to know more about Chateau, if they want more Martin Van Rossum in their lives, what can they do? <laughs> well, thank you guys very much for having me. It was, uh, it was a blast. Um, they can always uh, check out our website, which is rollingrhinogames.com, and they get notified if they want to, um, um, want to get notified on launch of the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, and of course, you can keep an eye out on Kickstarter. Um, yeah, thanks guys. It was really fun with you two uh, in the submarine. Oh, we really enjoyed having you on, Martin. As always, listeners, we have a couple special announcements. We're finally on iTunes. I figured it out. I'm a big boy now. I know how to work with Apple. <laughs> so we are on pretty much every single major podcasting platform. So tell your friends, share with us. And if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do is to give us five stars on iTunes, leave a comment. Let people know how much you love Tabletop Submarine. Share on Facebook when we do our episodes. You know, just spread the word around. That's the best way you can support us. We also have an Instagram now. We are going to be sharing pictures of games we've been playing, give updates on episodes, and try to have a little more communication between you and us here in our own little pods of the world. So if you like on, if you go to Instagram, look for Tabletop Submarine and give us a follow. Well, that's it for today's voyage. As always... My name is Josh. And I'm Andrew. And this has been the Tabletop Submarine.